Hello, 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 everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the Crave Notice. I am so excited today because I have Harris Eddie Hill. And now they're doing some amazing things out there. And what really, like, hit me, what really was, like, right there in my face was all the things that they come over, that they've gotten over. You know, Harris has survived and overcome trauma on accepting family members, uh, cancer, abusive relationships, physical paralysis, mental health challenges, and yet they have found their way to be emotional freedom and is now passing that power forward. And that's all what this show is all about. Just giving you some inspirational stories to know that you're not alone. So, without further ado, here's Sunday. Welcome to the Creative Nomad Show. You're going to place for all you awesome creators out there who are itching for more than the everyday grind. Here's your host, JP Welcome back, everyone. And Harris, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited for our conversation today, Jeff. It's a real pleasure. It is. It is. It's a pleasure for me. You are doing some amazing things out there. Do me a favor. Really introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, so my name's Harris. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I'm non-binary. I'm a podcaster. I've been podcasting for years and uh, I'm a best-selling author and I founded the Centre for Childhood Trauma Healing this year and um, really been getting going with that, especially after seeing what a gap there is in the healthcare system and uh, seeing how, you know, survivors and, and hopefully thrivers like me uh, are really undercated for in the medical system. So I really wanted to uh, bring healing to a lot of folks who otherwise have no other options when it comes to complex trauma and also educate them so that they've got enough information to kind of be empowered around their own healing, their own decisions, you know, and to know exactly what they're looking for, exactly how it should work, broad broad strokes, obviously, um, so that and also to give them hope that there is life uh, after trauma to the point where you can talk about it as much as I do and it doesn't get to you you know it's not it's not difficult anymore people say like oh it must take you a lot of bravery to talk about it but it doesn't that's that's the beauty of really getting over trauma and having it treated successfully yeah there's a power in and I'm sorry I'm getting an echo for me so every time I talk I'm talking a little weird just know it's because my echo in my head <laughs> so, but that's the thing about trauma once you heal it it no longer has that control over you and that's really the reason to heal your traumas you know they or they fester what has been one of the greatest benefits for you healing your trauma I think it's just allowed me to have some like the best relationships of my life. I'm not talking about romantically necessarily, but you know, the friends that I have around me, the uh, family that I have grown stronger relationships with since um, being able to be in difficult situations and manage them much better. I think just in general, I feel like a more effective human being and I'm more more capable of feeling joy and of enjoying secure, healthy relationships with other people who, you know, they're still imperfect like me, but we're all committed to being mature and taking accountability for ourselves. And it's just, it's so nice. I think before the relationships, most not all of them, but most of the relationships I had before, you know, even friendships were, they weren't healthy because, you know, I, I had been brought up in such a way that I didn't really know what a super healthy relationship or friendship looked like. And as a result, I was part of that um, equation and it wasn't my fault, you know, like how, how we're brought up and how we're treated as children isn't our fault. Um, but there was definitely, uh, it was empowering and humbling to say, well, actually, me as an adult, I I'm playing a part in this. And if I want my reality with my relationships to change, I need to be willing to change. 
and it wasn't through self-blame and and it took a lot of self-compassion and I look back now at the version of myself that was doing the best they could with the people that were in front of them knowing nothing else and I have such compassion and love for that earlier version there's no blame there's no um judgment it's just you know I I did my best with what I had at the time and now um knowing all of that and understanding how to move forward it's meant that I'm now finally able to enjoy my life and I really want that for other people do you find that people confuse responsibility and blame all the time yes yes I think I think it's really hard because there was definitely I, I definitely know that there was a point in my own journey where when if someone had suggested that I was playing a part in it unknowingly or unwittingly I would have been really angry so I really hear that and I guess you're not ready to hear that until you're ready to hear that and I think there's such a I know that for me I went through this quite a long phase of being quite angry at other people and how they treated me and it's not that I ever changed my mind like oh it wasn't a big deal that they were awful to me you know that's still true it's still true it's just that in order I I had to get to a point where I would let go of the of the you know the horse the horse that I was flogging of like they've done something wrong they've done something wrong and turn it into this real deep and difficult acceptance that you know for as long as I'm alive at least there will be abusive and toxic folks out there and the best thing I can do for myself is to get out of that cycle that's all I can do exactly exactly I mean when I came out one of the things that I noticed about myself and one of the things that I've changed about my relationship I do have dogs. They are here. There's nowhere to put them. So uh, they will happen. The mailman decided to come here. So I apologize. Um, when I was coming out, one of the things that I found myself doing was like basically being rainbows and glitter all the time, right? And pushing, you know, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay. You know, I'm Jeff, I'm gay. I'm Jeff, I'm gay. I'm fabulous. Like, la, 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 la. Right. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that it doesn't have to be the first thing about me. And typically, my relationships go better now. Because I'm not trying to force anything. Not that I do prominent games or I wouldn't hold hands or I wouldn't be out. Right? I'm out. But it's not my first thing. Have you noticed that as you're getting older, that's something that's true for you? Or is that something that um, is a factor? And it's different because you are non-binary and, you know, it's, it's a little different. Yeah, I think whilst I was in my, still very much my traumatized phase, complex trauma, you know, so much of your safety as a complex trauma survivor is tied to what other people think and how they feel and how they treat you. Um but don't worry, I'm not going to go all toxic positivity. I think there's a balance. <laughs> and, you know, so it was more, I think at that point, I was, I think I was scared of rocking the boat, of saying too much, of of advocating for myself and the times that people kind of did show their true colours and uh, were maybe unkind or, or you know, exclusionary or dismissive or any of those like not so nice things. Um, I found that really heartbreaking. 
And now I'm not impervious to it by any stretch. I think that, you know, you can be the most well-adjusted person in the world. And if you're living in a um, society that still marginalises you, I don't think there's any mindset in the world that can completely overcome that or completely mitigate the impact of that. But I would say that the energy I come at that from now is much more of it's much more of like like I'm just exhausted by the whole thing rather than triggered so you know and I'm I'm saying triggered in a, in a really genuine way I I really used to feel very you know unsafe and I would I would be very upset and now I just you know I still feel it it still hurts but it's just coming from a place of like well, it's not my fault and I don't have to argue my case here. You know, the people who care about other human beings unconditionally uh, are on my side. You know, it's OK. And then there's those people who really feel the way they feel about people like me. And actually, that's not going to change. And just because they feel that way, it doesn't mean that my worth is any less. I totally get that. And it's crazy because I just had this happen, right? My dad, I'm turning off my notifications. I just realized everything just went crazy. Of course, anytime I'm talking, something goes off. Um, so my dad recently, I just published a book. You can check it on Amazon. So congrats the new book came in and i was really kind of excited right i got my physical copy you know that moment and i opened it up and it was inside with my dad and he took it he looked at it he handed it back to me he didn't say a word didn't do a gesture didn't like acknowledge that he was holding a book that I wrote <laughs> and for weeks I was so triggered every time I thought about it I was just triggered like I can't believe you just handed it back to me and so finally I'm like dad I can't let this go he goes I did say great job like no you said nothing like nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I thought I said great job. And that was it, right? But I spent weeks angry at my father because I couldn't tell him that I was triggered. And we've had conversations about being gay. We've had conversations about you know, all these things. And he's on his, on his last days. He's in hospice. So every conversation is significant. It feels significant. Right. So where's that happen in your life? Like, where have you had to, like, just say, look, this is how you're making me feel. And either got a positive or, like, hey, yeah, you're whatever yeah I think I've experienced that the most with people of sort of similar you know similar age to me or sort of within my sort of sibling and friendship bracket I think those are the people that I feel the most safe to have those conversations with and I'm still you know I'm still learning and growing I'm still advocating for myself with people I feel less secure with or I don't know as well or I'm not as close to um and I think, you know, I'm also autistic and ADHD. So I spent a huge amount of my childhood being ostracized for reasons I didn't understand. And, you know, my early sort of career or at least being employed of people constantly being upset by things that I said. So, um, you know, and I don't think it was those those genuine incidents were never... I was never being unkind. I just didn't understand the social rules. So 
I think once I became self-aware and I started to learn that, you know, the way I was communicating wasn't wrong, but just that other people were having an emotional experience of those conversations. And this, you know, I, I get this now intuitively, but at the time I, I didn't. Um, I wasn't connected to my intuition or anything else, so I was flying blind. And so I've, I spent a really long time learning about when you say things, um, prepare for, you know, and I don't feel obligated. I think it's just, it's been like really interesting to me to learn how to communicate in a way that makes people feel really held and um, either that I make them laugh or I bring in my own vulnerability if I'm inviting them to be vulnerable or that it's a vulnerable conversation. Um, so overall, it's been it's been a really positive thing. And there are still some people in my life who are not on the same page as me. Uh, I had a very similar experience um, as you did with your dad, where I have a certain family member who has never acknowledged that I've been published and twice at this point. And um, I wasn't triggered. I think I'm I'm lucky enough that I've got to a point where I see it happen. I'm still annoyed, but I'm not triggered and it's it's different. And I'm still annoyed and I'm like, how the bloody hell is he, is he doing this? And I'm like, this is madness. Like, why? Like, how how can you witness, you know, sort of like um, someone you purport to to love unconditionally, see them like, you know, do this work that's like influencing the world, and you've put your heart and soul into it, and they don't say anything. Like that to me is madness. Um, but there are some people for whom they're not ready to have that conversation. Um. And I suspect largely will never be unless their ego is stripped down uh, sort of in, in the final in their final times. If if their ending is is happens for them in that way. Um, I think it's for some people who are traumatized and the only way they made it out was was with ego and not too much empathy. Um they need that ego and that lack of empathy to survive whatever it is that's gone on for them. And I've witnessed it before where that wall tends to come down at the end of life. I've, I've witnessed and, and, you know, done end of life many times with, with other people. I think I've been to about 50 funerals at this point. So um, I'm pretty practiced. I've seen it a lot. I've seen it enough to, to recognize the patterns and the phases that people go through. And, um, yeah, I think I think getting to a point where I like it's so amazing that you've been able to have that conversation with your dad and that he's open to it. And he's like, oh, OK, you know, because uh, I, I try and think about having those con or I've given up, I suppose. But having that sort of conversation with the people in my life who are not not there yet, uh, it would it would go poorly, I think. And historically has. Uh, you know what? My relationship with my family wasn't always this. So for many years, I couldn't talk about having a boyfriend or being gay or and even with my dad. It's not my first conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. Not that he he loved my ex. He thought when I told him that my ex and I were going to get married. He said, you guys aren't already married? <laughs> and I'm like, no. He goes, oh. Well, great. He's a great guy. We probably had, like, this beautiful um, yeah, just this beautiful thing that uh, conversation back then. And I tried not to talk to him for, like, six months. Because I'm like, I, I don't want to have another conversation with you. Because that conversation was so beautiful. If it ends here, we're good. <laughs> like, we're good. That was like 10 years ago. <laughs> but um, I, I was disowned for about mm, three months. I did a drag show. and Because a friend was producing it. Not because I'm a drag queen, 
not because you know and really good film was produced in the show i wasn't allowed to be there it was a pageant it was a lot of work and just so happens a cousin that i didn't know was there and told everybody that they saw me and my brother okay i'm just now coming out now i'm doing this drag show you know and so then it was be a girl and all these things that they weren't ready to have the conversations and understanding of and this is back in the 90s when we didn't have the conversation to have the conversation does that make sense hmm. like we have a much better conversation of gender and um, sexuality and how they're not together they're not linked. yeah that we didn't have back then so for about three months my mom disowned me um, at this time my parents were divorced it was a big mess anyways so i wasn't talking to dad so much and we healed from that and it took and it took something and then my grandmother fast forward like four years three years and my grandmother bought me the whole set of How to Pray the Gay Away. And we're talking the videos, the audios, the books. That was my Christmas present that year. Wow. And that was a moment. <laughs> like, opening up this big box, I just bought, like, for my grandmother, I had bought a big, huge bedroom set. We, you know, this whole nice thing. She was living with me at the moment. And I got this big box. That was expected to be from the freaking thrift uh, store, honestly. And it was the whole set. About $1,500 worth of materials. Wow. And that was the moment my mom and I, our relationship kind of mended, like changed in that moment because she saw that. I don't know what happened to that box. It was not there when I got back home. I've never seen that box again. Good. But that moment was what changed things and i say this because you're still very young and i believe that there's hope you don't know what that moment's going to be but there's hope for sure yeah and it's rough and it wasn't always sunshine's rainbows either yeah for sure i mean i i think i think for me um you know i'm, I'm in my 30s so i'm not i'm not it's been a long time since i was a teenager <laughs> and um you know it's not that i've written off any any chance of other people changing but i think it's just that my life isn't about that anymore mm -hmm. so if people change then it's brilliant it's a it's a bonus but actually my sense of you know self-worth and safety and all of those things can't hang on what other people think you know we we need that belonging and we need the right people but i think to have an attachment to you know i need this individual to accept me exactly the way that i want them to and you know that's that's a hard thing and actually you i think you can drive yourself mad hanging on to that um not to say that you know the people you're waiting to catch up or are in the right or that they're being you know that they're not being unkind or something but i think i think to to i th i think it's it's an advantage of of having worked through your trauma is that you can hold space for the possibilities and you know it's not to say that i wouldn't close the door with on a relationship if that felt like the right thing to do 
but I feel much more able. And I think this, I see this a lot with my clients that once they've started to really work through their complex trauma, they find it easier. Obviously, it's still not it's still not like great, but a lot easier to sit with the unknown, sit with the possibilities of what might happen and kind of let things be long term. Um, you know, because I think when you're living with a you know very traumatized brain, it's very geared towards all or nothing like this. This person is either for me or against me. And in a way, you could probably argue that that is the case. But I think the difference is that when you, you know, when you feel better, you're not so traumatized anymore. It's easier to sit with the, well, you know, I'm not at a place where I want to cut this person out at the moment or break contact for now. And at the same time, I recognize that they're kind of not talking to me respectfully or they still have some unusual ideas about people like me or, you know, so I think sitting in the gray area is more difficult. But actually, from a nervous system point of view, it's more peaceful than actually the all or nothing, fight or flight, you know, join me or get out kind of thing. It feels less, less violent in a way, like in your body. Definitely. And here in the States, uh, we're very divided. My family itself is very divided um, because of the Trump mega thing. Mm. So, and I'm assuming you're not in the States by your accent. So I, no. <laughs> you know, just assumptions. And I didn't <laughs> ask. Where are you from? I'm in England. Uh, I'm in the south of England. Beautiful. What's the best part about being there? Um, it's a hard one. I mean, on the one hand, we've if you're into history, we've got quite a lot of that. The church that I, I'm not religious, but the church that I grew up going to, the oldest part of that church is about a thousand years old. Um, so there's lots of like history around and that's quite nice. But also, I guess if you grow up with it, that's what you're used to seeing. Um, and in terms of like society, I mean, we've we've got also a big rise of a lot of right wing, very, very fascist ideologies going on here at the moment as well. And it's also affecting uh, trans health care. Um, that's been pretty tough. But generally, I think as a nation over over the years, it feels like not all the time, but a lot of the time, people tend a lot of the ones I I meet anyway tend towards this very kind of laissez-faire. Well, it doesn't really matter, does it? You know, and th this attitude of like, well, it's not hurting anyone, and Obviously, there's plenty of people who don't fit that don't fit that type, and you know, mar marginalised folks in, in the UK still suffer, um, you know, very very real consequences of of, of bigotry and, and hatred and you know all that kind of thing. But I feel like, depending on where you live and and the circle that you keep, you can have a fairly good, a fairly good kind of social life, I suppose. Um, and you know, like I, I went to a secondary school and here where I live, secondary school is from the ages of 11 to 18 and our school, the first like semester or term, we call it the first term that we were there, you got taken around all the local places of worship of all the different religions. Um, it was, and you know, there was absolutely still still racism and xenophobia and Islamophobia and all that sort of thing at our school. Um, but on the whole, there was this sense of like, actually, the school agrees with me if I'm going to open my mouth and tell people and advocate for, you know, minorities and stuff. Actually, I feel it, I feel I've been given permission to do that because the school agrees. Um. So, yeah, I, but it's, it's very mixed. It's very mixed. And at the same time, 
whilst there is a lot of diversity and attitudes of of sort of you know people trying to you know broadly re respect everyone who's different you know our nation is one of the kind of oldest sort of governments in the west well i don't know my 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 historic my historical and political uh understandings are not the best in the world my brother went to university to do um uh read ancient history so this is his thing but i just i just see that there's a there's it's such an odd thing because you're often even within uh sort of hierarchical structures of like corporate entities and stuff you'll see they've got they've got like a diversity equity and inclusion department or advocates and and you know they really do believe in it but they don't understand that even the structure of their business is antithetical to inclusion diversity and equity so it's it's a really interesting mixed bag i would say yeah i mean things that are at the top doesn't always filter all the way through in corporations no. so they could say one thing in policy, like in thought, but even you, you know, face against somebody that was right wing, you have your own preconceived notions and you have your own preconceived everything that you have to let go of to be, you know, because diversity would include them too. And that's what's really hard for people like us, like me, to understand is that they have the right business too. Yeah. As much as we disagree with them, as much as we believe that their um, thinking is very divisive. Yeah, and I think... Toxic. Yeah, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that trying to enforce a lot of this stuff is, is on the one hand, it may keep minorities safe in a sense, but also it will grow resentment because those people haven't come to that attitude willingly. And it's such a, you know, I, I, I'm aware of that. And I was, you know, it, it's such a complex thing because also I think there are people out there who actually they're not interested in the first place and they never will be in terms of coming together on an issue. They're like, this is what I think and actually I don't care to change my mind and I guess that is their right too. Um, but then it's like, well, where, where do you go with that? You know, it's like I've heard a lot of people say, oh, you know, freedom of speech surely means that I can say whatever I want. And it's like freedom of speech doesn't mean without consequences. It just means you can say what you want. But also, you know, it's like, you know, if, if you run a social media platform and you've got someone on there saying like, oh, we should do away with all of the people in this group or they're ridiculous or they don't exist or they're perverts or, what, you know, whatever mad madness they're saying. And I think you as a platform owner also have the right to deplatform them and not allow them to use your platform so yeah it's a mixture but then you know i've i've heard other people um I, i've had uh, black friends of mine say that you know at least in the us if someone's being racist they're doing it to your face whereas in england it might not happen so much but when it does happen some some of those times it's really passive aggressive or it's said like really sarcastically and they only get it like days later <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if there's a perfect system, but I do. I it, it's a if, tricky. I don't know if there is the ability to have a perfect system. Because, again, we're going to have our own preconceived notions. Right? I have biases. I know I have biases. If I see a red bag of hat, my first, like, it's a trigger. It's a trigger for me. I look at it and I'm like, you're a freaking idiot. And I have very close people to me, like extremely close, that we've had to come to terms with the fact that we very highly disagree. Mm. 
very, very highly disagree. And had to, like, deal with that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I could have this conversation is because I've had to have those conversations. Yeah. Which is helpful and healthy. Right? So I can almost see when someone is calling me a faggot and just being, like, ridiculous about it. Doesn't happen very often anymore. Thank goodness. But it does happen. And I can just... Okay. As long as you're not being violent to me, that's your view. Thank you. I see you. You have the right to your view. As long as you're letting me live, have a nice day. When you get my face, when you're making my life difficult, there's another conversation. Mm. And I think that's the free speech thing, right? You have a right to say whatever you want up to a certain spot until it starts really affecting someone else's life. Like someone walking by and saying, faggot, is it going to bother me? I might go like this for a second. Like, thanks? Or someone, you know, more often than not, it's like, blow me, faggot. You know, blood out. Interesting choice of words there. You know, <laughs> like, okay, I, here, you, you know. At least buy me a drink first. Exactly. <laughs> They're never the cute ones. No. It's 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 never the porn stars. <laughs> it's never the porn stars. <laughs> like they were spurned, like they're spurned lovers. But there comes a point where if it's in my face, I was staying with some people when I first got into an RV and they were very heavy Trump fans. Family friends all my life. Like, she's a second mother and she threatened to, to kick me out. Over it. Because I was like, I'm not voting for Trump. It's not happening. It's against my code. Now, I hate Joe just as much. Right? I think he needs to go retire peacefully. He's done his service. He's beautiful. He's not bad. He's just... It, it's time for him to go. He, they shouldn't have pulled him out the balls in the first place. But... Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough conversation to have and and I have to say I can have these conversations much better since trauma therapy. It's still not my favorite. I'm I'm never, you know, some people they can't wait to have these political conversations and I'm like, "Oh, I'm not really sure, like, you know, I'm not in the, in the mood to find out you know the the true colors of some of these people right now because they come out with all kinds of, you know. But on the occasions it does happen, I think if I can trust that the other person is having that conversation in good faith and because they're genuinely curious and I'm genuinely curious about what they think and we can really come at it from a real, like a real good faith point of view and we really care about each other as, as human beings, then those conversations have started to happen. But pre-trauma pre treatment, I couldn't have done that. I'd have been like, I, I literally, I can't have this conversation. I'd have just left the room. It would have just been too hard. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of the kind of loudest or most most vocal uh, folks, p particularly, you know, coming from a, a marginalised space online, gets get such a bad rap because they're seen as hysterical or or, you know, often are accused of being triggered and maybe they are but I think that's kind of missing the point why are they triggered yeah exactly 
but but it you know I think if you're possibly coming from uh, a background where emotions are weak and empathy is, is seen as a sort of quite an irrelevant trait and not not necessary for for human connection and even human connection isn't again isn't hugely it's not the center of somebody's world then I think that can be a really difficult conversation to have definitely definitely I think as growing up you're taught it doesn't matter you don't feel you don't connect find a wife connect with mm. her take care of your kids but it doesn't matter how you actually feel you yeah. gotta go to work provide for the family go hunting you know and we're learning how toxic that mentality is and how many men just kill themselves because they can't feel yeah out. walk it off I... yeah it, it's so interesting because I mean obviously from my work what we learn is that actually the quickest way to resolve a feeling is to sit with it listen to it be friends with it all of that stuff, like one of the first parts of the work that I do with people is around emotional integration or reintegration. And it's so, you know, when once people get the hang of it, that's when they become the sort of stable, thoughtful, concise, um, you know, well-reasoned, articulate, calm person. You know, that's that's where that happens. And if you've had a very traumatized background, then that's going to be very difficult to access. And it's almost like you you almost get written off by certain characters from trying to engage in those conversations because you can't be like rational, logical, you know, all of those those things that you're so kind of silenced for being in the first place. And actually, the the issue with those people who are perceived as hysterical, their issue isn't that they've sucked it up. The issue is that they've done that too much. Exactly. You know, we can't, as human beings, stop feeling. And actually, if we try to suppress the humanity out of people, that's that I, in my experience, that's where we end up with, uh, you know, like high high suicide rates in men. Um, personality disorders obviously there are some disorders that are totally organic and you're just going to get them um unfortunately but a lot of the time you know a really good example um I was talking to the attachment nerd I think it was earlier this year or last year she's she's a social she does a lot of sort of social influencing type stuff but she's also um a therapist and specializes in attachment and we were saying that our experience is that if you've got disorganized attachment, which is where your the way that your parents were with you from birth, or you know maybe you grew up in a in a home or whatever, um, if you have disorganized attachment because your caregivers were unreliable, often unsafe themselves, um, you know not emotionally available, not not necessarily very nurturing. That's where that's where you get the sort of most likely to get the sort of developmental personality disorders. You know, so we can see that having this attitude of suck it up, don't talk about it. It's so destructive. It is so destructive. And I think it seems to be revolutionary in the work that I'm doing when I'm speaking to people one to one of just saying to them, they're like, oh, I'm having this feeling. What what should I do with it? And I'm like feel it first what's it trying to tell you and this idea that you don't suppress your emotions but you get to know them you get to know what they're trying to tell you that's where the healing begins and people become more stable it's the opposite of sucking it up it's the opposite of pushing it down and it is 
the art of you know, even when I started hearing about this stuff I was like oh it just sounds a bit wet do you know what I mean like a bit you know like soggy bread I was like oh this is like really gross I didn't like it um and sorry for for those of you who are not English or British saying wet is like you know like wet behind the ears like you're a bit like weak like a bit weak a bit cringy a bit gross um you know, so I get it. I get it. I didn't grow up with any of that. It was, you know, if I was crying as a kid, it was like, is anything broken or bleeding? No. Well, you know, you'll be all right then. Go, go away. That was it. Definitely. And I now, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now I watch like, you know, people, you know, my generation are with their small kids. And I understand the theory of it, but I'm not a parent. So I've watched, you know, sort of like some some people close to me are, are raising this little, like, kid who's now four. And if there's been like a, you know, an injury, you know, someone's fallen over, then it's a real sitting with the kid and being like, oh, it really hurts. It's horrible when you fall over. And it just, you know, all of this empathy is going on. And I'm like, there's part of me that was quite uncomfortable at first watching it. I didn't say anything. I was like, I understand like theoretically that they're doing the right thing, but to witness that as someone who didn't get that as a child, I was like, this is weird. But the amazing part was that within five minutes, it was done. That was it. There was no more tantrums. There was no more anything. It, the, the feeling was sat with, worked through, and then it was done. And then the, the rest of the day carried on. It was just not a big deal. It is really magical. Can be definitely, and it is wet. It is soggy bread. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, I got it. <laughs> I have done so much healing this summer. Heather is actually watching, and she can tell you she's the first person I talk to about things, and so much of having to just be there, feel it. Deal with it. Acknowledge it. Love it. Okay. You know, just let it go. Until I can't let it go. Then you have to have the conversation. And then that's a whole other mess. But, you know, just healing and just being that. Mm. And I love that you're doing this work with people. Thank you. Love that you're doing this work for people. It's not easy. So rewarding, though. And, and I think not only, you know, do I hope that people become hopeful, but also to realise that actually once you're ready, and being ready can take years. There's no, you know, it's, it's not competition. But once you're ready to sort through this stuff, it's intense, but it doesn't last that long. I work with people for three months. That's it. Once a week, three months, done. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not to say that you leave that perfect and also you can have new trauma. <laughs> I discovered that I had a near, near car accident a year ago, um, which was, yeah, I've been working through that. That's been really interesting. But, um, you know, 90, 90 percent of the way there. But, yeah, that's that's been really interesting. But, yeah, I mean, th this kind of work, people say, oh, it must have taken so much for you to, to get over your trauma and, and to be dysfunctional. I was like, it's not as long as you think. I, I've talked, I, I won't um, bore you with the details. If people want to hear my story, I've got more on, on my uh, website. But um, my simple PTSD was treated in two hours and my complex PTSD was treated in a matter of months. Thank you. Um, you know, so it was it was really quick. I think when, once you learn how it works, you're like, oh, this is a really simple idea. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's over really quickly. There's a lot of tissues involved. Like you definitely will cry through a lot of it. But it's um but it's not it's not triggering, it's not horrible or, or unpleasant. It's just a big release and it's a relief as well. So Harris, what's one thing you would like to leave with people? Um, the one thing I think that I really want people to understand the difference between 
that trauma therapy is not necessarily the same thing as trauma processing. And I know this is technical and it's maybe not very sexy, but the but the difference is really important because I've <clears throat> met people and I was one of these people who was in the loop for years talking about what I'd gone through. But I didn't get anywhere. I just got really practiced at telling my story of why I was so traumatized. And then I came across someone who could actually treat trauma and it was over so quickly. And I was like, oh, I can't believe that I've been left to struggle with this for so many years when it was over so quickly. And I've never had a, a, a flashback, a relapse, nothing, never, never been triggered ever again. Like it's gone. And I want people to just understand there's no right or wrong answer. If you're at a point in your journey where you do need to talk about it, you do need to have, have that your story witnessed by somebody else. It's totally valid. But I think once you're at a point where you're like, I'm so done, I just don't want to be traumatized anymore. Trauma processing is a specific thing that you're doing for your brain and your body. That's not the same as talking therapies and knowing that difference can save a life. And I really believe that. So make sure you check out Harris's website. It's mxharrishillhill.com. And Harris, thank you so much for being here today. I so thank appreciate you. you. It's been such a pleasure. If you are going through trauma, make sure that you ch check them out. Just amazing work. Thank you. Thank all right, you. folks, thank you for watching the Creative Nomad Show. I will see you all next week. You guys have a wonderful day. Thank you for watching the Creative Nomad Show. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, check out creativenomadshow.com. There is also a link at the bottom if you are an awesome creator and would like to be a guest. Everyone here at the True Awesome Network asks you to please subscribe, like, comment, and spread awesome.